0: It's philosophy talk. If somebody is behaving like a jerk, you get to be a jerk back at them. You get to swear at them. The linguistics of name calling. The point of having a crude word, a rude word, it's a word that enables you to say, Your behavior
1: is so contemptible that I no longer feel the obligation to obey
0: the inhibitions that normally govern my conversation. Can an ordinary word become an insult? Swearing is always more about class than anything else. Our guest is linguist and NPR commentator Jeff Nunberg. How do you learn what a swear word means? You have to be told you shouldn't use it, and then you have to hear somebody using it. But Ideally, the same person who told you you shouldn't use it.
1: People don't trying to pick us up. Why won't they let us be? Bricks and stone my bones, Don't bother me. What would we
0: do without the A word in our language? Hey, there's a line here, Sparky. The linguistics of name calling. Coming up on Philosophy Talk.
1: This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything.
0: Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm not. I'm John Perry. We're
1: coming to you from the Marsh Theater, the Bay Area's breeding ground for new performance.
0: Our thinking originates down the road at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken is a professor of philosophy and I am an old fart. (laughs) Welcome everyone to Philosophy Talk. Today, the linguistics of name-calling. Well, Ken, name-calling is widely regarded as a bad thing, but from a linguistic perspective, it's just another interesting thing, in fact, a really fascinating phenomenon. Well, John, name-calling is
1: regarded as a bad thing because it is a bad thing. Look, decent people shouldn't use words like the infamous N-word or or the K-word as applied to Jewish
0: people. They just shouldn't do that. Well, I agree, Ken, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Take, take the word a-hole. Now, for those of you who are really clueless, we have in mind a compound word, the first part of which uh, is a name for donkeys, and the last part of which is hole. Uh, it's a marvelous little word, even though we can't say it on the radio, and it's a true linguistic wonder. Well, it may be
1: wonder, but it sounds like you find the a-word... Less offensive than the n-word, is that
2: right?
0: Oh, I certainly do. The n-word is a terrible and ugly word. To call somebody the n-word is to imply that they are inferior because of their race. They're worthy of contempt because of their race. It is to say something false and uncalled for. On the other hand, admit it, some people really are a-holes. They deserve to be called what they really are. Well,
1: John, the A word may not be as harsh as the N word. I grant you that. I grant you that. But it still shouldn't be used in polite speech. I I mean, suppose that Barack Obama found himself thinking during one of those debates, oh, god, what an a-hole that Romney is. I mean, even if that's true, Obama would have never dared uttered that word in that context. He just wouldn't have. Even if Romney was really and truly being you know, an a-hole.
0: I can't believe Obama would have such a thought, Ken. The a, word, <laughs> the a word may be impolite, but it's often a perfectly apt word. That makes it different from the N word, which is never apt in any context. Let's distinguish three different things.
1: Three different ways that words of, let's call it, I don't know, soft derogation, like the A word, can differ from more harshly derogatory words like the N word. First, a statement like, Jones is a real a-hole, That can be flat out true or flat out false, right?
0: Well, that's certainly one thing that distinguishes the A word from the N word. You can't ever apply the N word truly to anyone, because no one is contemptible just because of their race. So first point, you're right. When you call someone the N word, you're saying something false. Right. And then there's a second thing, is that the very act of calling someone the
1: N word, it's not just factually incorrect. It's also deeply morally problematic.
0: Well, uh, being called the A-word certainly stings, uh, but the sting of being called the A-word may be well-deserved, and, and the sting of being called the N-word is never deserved. But then there's also this fact that it's often just plain
1: impolite to call someone the A-word, even if, in fact, they're being an A-hole. It just, it's just something you shouldn't say in polite company.
0: Well, I don't think you've got it quite right, and this goes back to my earlier point. The A-word is definitely not a polite word. But that's what gives it such power. Suppose, counterfactually, this would never happen, you're mistreating a student or an employee. Your lovely wife, Claire, pulls you aside and says in a firm but loving tone, Ken, quit being such an a-hole. You shouldn't be offended. You should be grateful to her.
2: Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, maybe. I get your point, but you know, it's one thing. To lovingly admonish someone you care about in the privacy of your own bedroom or whatever with that word. It's really a completely different thing. To hurl that word at somebody, like in the heat of an argument, that's going to make
0: things worse. It's never going to make it better. It just shows how flexible, powerful, and useful the A word can be. It's a word that, for good or ill, gets people's attention. It's really a marvelous thing that English language has given us, a wonderful tool.
1: Oh, it may be marvelous, but you know, John, it's also dangerous. I mean, take Rush Limbaugh, for example. He habitually calls feminists feminazis. And some Democrats I know habitually call Republicans "repugnants." Now, the use of such words, the overuse of such words, especially, is coarsening our public discourse. The, the, The more we think and talk about each other in such terms, the less we're prone to listen to each other respectfully. I think it's a really bad thing.
0: Well, Ken, as is often the case on this show, <laughs> you're feeling nostalgic for a world uh, that you never knew. <laughs> the, the barrier between impolite speech and public discourse came tumbling down long ago, before either of us were born. There's no way to put it back again. Gosh, that's a depressing thought. I,
1: I really hope you're wrong. Nostalgia or not, I just hope you're wrong. But you know, obviously, there's a lot to think and talk about here, both linguistically and socially.
0: Now, to help us set the stage for the exploration of the linguistics or name calling, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esh to an odd place, out to a playground, and, and she watched as kids transform ordinary names for fruit into stinging epithets. She files this report.
3: This is a story about the power
4: of mangoes and bananas. Mm-hmm. We made names so we could talk amongst ourselves and go like, oh, kiwi's such a mango or apple's such a banana.
3: When Elizabeth Pine was a fifth grader at a small public school
4: outside Seattle,
3: she and a few friends made up a secret code. The names of fruits and vegetables stood in for the names of classmates and common phrases. She says they did it to get back at some popular
4: girls who were bullying them. They had created a language that To our understanding, only had like about one word in it, it was ice cream, but they'd like point and laugh at us and then they'd go like ice cream and start laughing again and we got kind of fed up with it so we said, hey, we'll make our own language, you know, two can play at this game. So Elizabeth and her friends made up a fruit and vegetable language. First they chose names for themselves. My name was Broccoli and my friends, let's see, I think there was string bean, asparagus, carrot, and lima bean or something. Then they came up
3: with names for the bullies, apple and kiwi, and words for yes, no, hello, and goodbye. The word banana meant bad word, and mango meant very
4: bad word. We made ice cream mean I'm a leprechaun, so just to to kind of get back at them.
3: Elizabeth's mother, Judy Pine, is a linguistic anthropologist at Western Washington University. She thought the language was a creative
2: way to deal with playground bullies. That was my thought about it, was that isn't this a marvelous way to deal with the inevitable conflict between people in the playground?
3: Well, word of Elizabeth's secret language got out. And like a bad game of telephone, banana came to mean one particular bad word. And mango came to mean another.
4: These two boys were out on the playground during lunch recess and they were harassing one of the more fragile girls in our class and yelling mango and banana because they'd heard about our language. And then when she went to the office to get help, we got in trouble for making the language that they were calling her names in. Elizabeth's mother, Judy,
3: remembers getting an angry call from the principal. She was just beside herself about about this. So Judy went to the principal's office to talk it over.
2: I kept asking, so did Elizabeth use these words to bully? And she said, no, Elizabeth didn't, but Elizabeth wrote them down. And I was really struck by the fact that this principal saw these words, mango and banana, so powerful that a fifth grader writing them down had committed a really serious offense.
3: Elizabeth is a bright girl. She gets good grades and likes to read. But lately, she'd been the target of schoolyard bullies. She stopped playing kickball with the rest of the class at
4: recess. Instead, she would read. And people would tease me for that, and people would, like, I don't know if they called me specific names behind my back or anything, but they'd tease me and throw the kickball at me. Like, I don't know, it would hit me sometimes. I
2: remember you coming home in tears over having been called a geek Mm. and Daddy and I spending some time trying to say, well, you know, we're geeks too and geek is good. Yeah. (laughs) But I still don't want to be
4: called a geek. I don't really want to be this thing if people are going to outcast me like this.
3: Judy says the principal didn't seem to care much about fifth graders flinging around the word geek. And that's what bothered her more than anything.
2: The principal found mango and banana frightening for reasons that I understand based on where she's coming from. And I find the demonization of intelligence in our national conversation really quite disturbing.
3: For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch.